you'll be doing whatever in your house. You know, me working from home, doing dishes, whatever, and then you hear them. Yeah, I got to stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you like, got to grab your binoculars and run outside. outside. <laughs> you are listening to Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Billy Brown. I'm bringing you this episode, a couple conversations from this summer that I've taken forever to edit and put out as an episode. As we all know, 2020 has been an unusual year. We all know the bad reasons that the whole world has been experiencing. There's some good reasons too. Um, first of all, you know, of course, Tony and Angie uh, expanded their family with Azalea. Uh, and of course, you know, new parents, that takes up a whole lot of your time and energy and focus. Um, and then uh, on my end, I've been working on a book that I finally turned in um, at the end of October to the publisher. Um, yes, that involves urban wildlife, and you'll hear more about it in future episodes. Um, anyhow, all that is an explanation of why it took so long to get this episode together. In any case, here it is, even if it's a few months late, um, some conversations about urban raptors, in particular urban falcons. One of these is in the field actively watching falcons with a birder in West Philadelphia named Schubert Sweat, a man I met um, as I was looking at falcons around Cobbs Creek. The other conversation is with Peter Green, a Providence, Rhode Island uh, raptor enthusiast who uh, has had a blog for many years about Providence, Rhode Island's raptors um, and has a book out called Providence Raptors, um, which is beautiful. It's a lot of fun to look at. Um, you learn a lot. Um, I think it's a great book for any urban wildlife lover, even if you're not in Providence. It's still a great story to tell about the raptors of Providence, um, and it can really inspire you um, as a conversation with Schubert Sweat does, I think, uh, to hang out, um, go look around at the raptors near where you live, uh, look at the wildlife near where you live, um, and learn how to tell their story, whether that's to your neighbors, whether that's to a citywide audience, or to a national audience or international audience like we do in this podcast. Of course, if you like this podcast, please rate us highly on your podcast listening app of choice. Please tell all your friends about the podcast by any medium necessary. Uh, please also feel free to get in touch with us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com and tweet at us at urbanwildlifecast. Um, please find us on Facebook. And of course, please check out all of our wonderful Wildlife Observer Network podcasts. This is now part of a family of podcasts, and you can check all those out on the Wildlife Observer Network. So without much further ado here, we're going to start off with my conversation, hanging out with Schubert and watching the birds. Then we'll shift to a, a more like an interview format with Peter Green. Thanks. My name is Schubert Sweat. I'm here watching the birds with my good buddy, Bill. Well, this is your, this relates to your story you were telling me about. You were seeing the, 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 the peregrine plucking the, the was it a pigeon up yeah, there? Yeah, the pigeon. That's yeah. about three weeks ago. We lost in there just like this. Yeah. Just like this. And we, I was just talking about him. And all of a sudden he came. He must have caught the pigeon like right there. Yeah. And So we're looking at a tree above our shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden I seen him. We saw him like this. And he flew up there like he was struggling. But I was like, yo, look, look, look. And everybody was trying to get the camera out. Yeah. But it was like, you know. It's hard in the moment. To, yeah. yeah. Plus he's out here smoking and drinking and all that. So. But I can still see it. And it was amazing. I'm like, damn. And everybody got to see it. I said, see, y'all think I got to see it. I said, I said I'm glad y'all got to see it. Yeah. Because I see it a lot on my job. But, you know, to get to see it like this and be talking about it, then it happens. And he went right up and ate that pigeon right in front of us. 
And then you see the, and then you see sort of like the snow of pigeon feathers come down. Yep. And they came all the way, like you sitting right there, the girl was sitting yeah. right there. They came all the way to her hair. To her <laughs> hair. Another girl sitting here, and the feather was just like coming down, kissing the chin. I'm like, yo. It was just amazing how they came straight to us. And right. the chicks was messed up because they got in the air. I said, yo, they had the feathers in the air. And she was like, oh, oh, oh. I said, no. And then they started taking the camera out, trying to take pictures. Yeah, yeah. By way of introduction, I'll tell how I learned about these falcons. Tony, last year was the first year he noticed them. Um, and this year, you know, we're all in lockdown mode. And, so, and I live uh, probably, what, two miles away from Cobbs Creek, a mile and a half. Yeah. Um, and, good morning. Uh, good morning. And I... Uh, and so I was looking for things to do, you know, like I would take, I still do, we take my daughter out, uh, who's 16 months, I'll put her on the bike trailer, we'll go for a ride. Um, and Tony's like, hey, you know, check out the falcons that are in the St. Cyprian church. Um, and so uh, I've been doing that. And um, I was out here with Gilda, my daughter in the trailer, and um, a guy getting into his pickup truck. <laughs> that would be me. That would be you. <laughs> that would be me. Comes over and yeah. says hi and says, "Hey, you're looking at those the Falcons?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And I sort of switched into like, um, I'm used to giving nature walks and like, and and writing articles about nature. And I sort of switched into like Bird telling, well, well, but no, but like telling facts about Falcons. Yeah. And Schubert's like giving facts about the Falcons too. And I'm like, wait a second, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta listen to this guy. Um, and we're also just to describe where we're sitting. Uh, Cobbs Creek Parkway is sort of on the, the western edge of West Philly. Um, it has a multi-use path along it. There's, I don't know, what is this, about 30 yards of, of landscaped grass and trees and, be- and picnic benches and stuff. And then it goes down into the, the creek um, corridor, the creek ravine. Um, and the environmental center we're talking about is down in the ravine. Um, but we're sitting in folding uh, lawn chairs. <laughs> yeah. And few, enjoying the morning. <laughs> enjoying the morning with binoculars a few feet off the multi-use path. So that's why we keep saying hi to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's why we hear the traffic noise. Um, and in the background, I'm just thinking of other birds. We're hearing plenty of starlings. Um, there there's robins around. Uh, there were some morning doves behind us. Well, I was sitting down, and Schubert was pointing them out because you were saying that, that it looked like the falcon was looking at you. But no, I was looking over your shoulder yeah. at, at two morning doves who were scraping around in the dirt under a tree over there. Um, and uh, this is a nice spot. I mean, it's like a, you see your sort of landscaped park birds. There's goldfinches. Um, there's uh, red-eyed vireos that you can hear on the edge of the woods here. Um, I've been watching some kingbirds up in some trees recently around here. The falcon we've been looking at just ducked in a little bit. And that's where it's nested, right behind the cow. And I was surprised that nobody came up here until you came up here. <laughs> and now, since you've been up here, another couple have been coming up here with a tripod. Just, you were telling me a little anecdote, and it was something that I was like, no, no, I want to record that. So you were saying. Yeah, right here. So a woman who just walked past us. Yeah. Yep, they just went this way, and I was sitting there drinking my coffee. She said, shoot, you got having your coffee out. And I said, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm bird watching. I said, not like that, because we have little jokes. And she said, I know. And I said, no, I'm watching some birds. I said, so, <laughs> She got the look and she couldn't see. I said, look, look. Then she saw it, her daughter, and her daughter just started talking. Yeah. And she said, well, I'm just well, I'm getting into birds myself. And then she started getting ah, into birds. Yeah. And then she said, she just bought some birds. 
she pulled a camera out and she saw so she started taking pictures. So we got to talking more and she said, Shoot, I'll be I'm I told her I'm waiting for you. Okay. She said, We'll be back and she just came back. Now she's going to the house and talk some more about them birds. Her daughter said, her mom said, um, she just got into birds, shoot, what a coincidence. And we just got to talking some more about it. Yeah. And she went way back to driving the trolley. She was driving out main, I mean, media. Media, yeah. What, whatever trolley, but she saw them out there. She said, shoot, we was on the platform, and one came right down on the platform and grabbed the picture. Oh, wow. And I was like, really? I said, now see how exciting that was. She was going off when she was telling me this. When she looked up through there, and she said, that's, that's one there, shoot. I said, she was on driving um, the trolley on a platform, on a ship. Yeah. And she said the pigeon was on a platform and one just came out of nowhere and grabbed a pigeon. That's so exciting. And she said, everybody was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But it's yeah. too late. Once they come down and get their Oh, meal, there's no, Like yeah. you say, everybody got to eat. <laughs> I mean, and I keep yeah. in mind, that would stick to me when you said that. I was like, some of it looks cruel, but like yeah. you said, everybody got to eat, even us. They go kill the animals, supposed to eat. Yeah. Good morning. And I was saying to I was saying to well, actually to everybody who listened to me talk about it that if the Cobb's Creek Center were open and doing normal programming because again we're in a pandemic yeah. um, the thing to do would be to get either one of the staff or one of the interns or somebody out here with a scope always on those Falcons and then sort of chatting people up when they come by and sort of it's a great like we're always looking for ways to to teach people about wildlife yeah. and. Then I was kind of thinking about it because every time I come out here, I have, I we, we when I pull out my binoculars, someone stops me and is like, "Oh, you're looking at the falcons," <laughs> and then and they're like, and then they mention you, um, and it has occurred to me that you're kind of running an informal environment, like wildlife education program out here came out while day, you're playing horseshoes, you know? <laughs> yeah, my boy came out with some binoculars. I mean, they was this big. He said, "Shoot, look at these." And I was shocked. He had some binoculars. You could almost see God with him. I was cracking up. <laughs> but we looking. You, yo, his drone was fat, too. And then he stood over there for about two hours. Two hours? There you go. Just to walk. He said, shoot, man. I told you, you know, I'm going to go somewhere. He said, I'm going to let you walk. I said, no, no, I'm about to get another pair. My wife ordered me another pair. Then I looked around again. It was like five more guys I had with theirs. Exactly. Yeah. Right over there. Then they come down and sit over there. See that? You can see them good from over there. See that bench right there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sit there and you can see them pretty good. You're right. They move all around on that thing. Right. So it's a, it's a. I see this morning when I got up, I was thinking about you so much. I went straight to the back door and he was back there. <laughs> so I told my wife, so you know, I got to get up and got in the shower and said, she's going to go shop. I said, all right, well, Billy going to meet me down at 8 o'clock. Yeah. So she wanted to get up early and do it. I said, well, I'm sitting down drinking my coffee. See, they don't even care no more. They'll come right down. That was a, a starling just buzzed us. Yeah. But yeah. no, they was over there. And everybody was over there with Okay, them. that guy right there. Watch him. Look how he died. That is, I think that's a kingbird. I'm sorry, we're getting, I'm getting excited about birds that aren't falcons for a second. Um, yeah. But you see how he just landed in like that? Yeah, but they end up, they, they like to hang out at the top of the tree. Yeah. And so it's, it's tricky. Like, you can only really get a good look at them if you got the angle where you're looking at the top of the tree. Um, and these are, these are big fly, these are a type of flycatcher called kingbirds. Um, <clears throat> and they sort of hang out at the top of a tree, and then when they see a bug, they fly out, they grab it, and they land again. Um, oh, yeah. You know what? That's not, what that is, because I sit on my porch. From my porch, you yeah. can see the top of that tree real good. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's always sitting up there, and you can see him. Yeah. I was thinking they catch some gnats or whatever. Basically. I mean, yeah. or, or bigger bugs, them, yeah. Yeah, they'll, you see them go up and fly around a little bit, and you go right back to the, to the branch. And I don't, they're, they're not very, not like dramatic looking at all. I just like them. So <laughs> I get excited you know when I see them. my job, too? 
got a lot of like yellow fence. What do we call it? Gold fences. Oh my God, they're so pretty yellow. Yeah, they fly, they fly. You know, like they fly with a dip. Exactly. Kind of bounce in their flight. Yeah, and they're so pretty and yellow. They are pretty yellow. Yes, we are. There you go. Yep, yep. Take it out, Holland. Yep. He took a little brick around the edge. I think that's the male, a little smaller. Just came out and started yelling. He's kind of big. Yeah, but I think, I mean, I have a trouble with scale when they're not both oh, out of. Just, just. Yeah, I just the pooped. Load. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, but I have trouble with telling them apart when they're not next to each other. Yeah. But I, I don't know. That's my first gut impression was that was the smaller one. And yesterday, you and I were talking about. So I was talking about how I've got. American kestrels that have been nesting on my block. They're a smaller species of falcon, um, a lot less dramatic. Uh, but the uh, we were both talking about how you'll be sitting, you'll be doing whatever in your house. You know, me working from home, doing dishes, whatever, and then you hear them. Yeah, I got to stop. Yeah, <laughs> like, you got to grab your binoculars and run outside. Stay outside. <laughs> I know. My wife was like, I don't believe you. I watch a lot of that stuff on TV, the National Geographic, and all that. Yeah. Even with that, I hear them. And I hear him on TV, and I said, oh, that's, you know, I just got to get up and go just to see him. Yeah, yeah. I just got to make sure. You can't sure just that, sit there, yeah. Yeah, I, I got to get up and see there you go. So we're, I, I hit record again just because this is fun. Um, we were sitting here, and one of them took off, I think the male, looks a little smaller, took off and was flying around and calling a little bit. And then we thought we saw the other one flying around too. Um, but the one, the smaller one, I think is the male, it just landed. Frustratingly, like out of view because we can't see his feet to see if he's caught something. I know. I'm looking for his feet. <laughs> but we'll but we'll see in a minute if it. I mean, if he did catch something, he's about to start eating it, but um, or sharing it. But landed and making a bunch of noise. Watch him hop down that ledge. Oh, there he is. Yep, he's walking around the ledge. You're right. Now he's gonna jump down that little piece of ledge right there. Watch. I got them down to a sign. No, you do. He, he, oh man! He doesn't have anything though. He's just no. walking. Oh, that noise drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, oh wait, there's the other one. There's the other one. Yep. I told you. I'm glad you're here now, man. <laughs> no, this is fun. Yeah. So the female just swooped up and landed also. Um. Neither of them has any food, though, which would be like a dead pigeon or something. Yeah. Um, but before this I hit record, I was saying that I, I, I was wondering if they were just taking a territorial like patrol around the, the neighborhood. Um, All right, we're recording again because we just saw... <laughs> I was watching these kingbirds again, um, and the falcon must have taken off because uh, we saw the falcon coming around from the trees, but the kingbird was the king. Well, what we saw was the kingbird land in a tree, and the kingbird takes off like it was on a mission, and then the falcon came into view with the kingbird dive bombing it. Yeah, so it's crazy. <laughs> Well, he's got and the jump on him, like do, I was saying. You're right. And all he got to do is turn around, put on brakes, and grab it.
I'm Peter Green. I'm, well, now it's, I can say I'm an author, I suppose, but normally I'm a graphic designer and um, my hobby is wildlife photography, which has now led to a book. So uh, graphic designer slash photographer. Nice. And occasional author. Um, and I like to be involved with uh, other aspects of the wildlife that I photograph. So I, I help out at the wildlife clinic and I'm on the board of directors and stuff like that. So uh, at the Audubon Society, I, I help there and work there as well. So uh, it all overlaps with my design work now. So um, that's it. That's what I do. All right. That's good. The book is beautiful. Um, oh, thank you. And thanks. this is... This is audio, and uh, you picked a picture of a for the cover of a of a peregrine sitting on top of a, a it looks like the, a red metal um, rim around a blue concrete blue pa- blue painted well, concrete. Well, actually, if you, if you turn the page into the inside cover, you'll see what he's sitting on in the distance behind that falcon. So you see, it's the Biltmore Hotel sign in red. Uh, so you see. Oh, yeah. oh, I see what you mean. There you go. So he's on the E, and or I was, she was on the E, and they often eat their lunch on those letters up there, which I can see from my window. And and that that oh. close up on the cover was one day I was allowed on top of the roof of the hotel because they were eating lunch up there for for so long. It didn't look like they were going to fly away. So uh, the manager let me up there to get some great shots like that. That's neat. And that's a, for people who don't know Providence, that's a grand old hotel. But they've let me in there a couple of times, uh, once up to the roof for that photo session. And once uh, the falcon, some falcons were sitting in the windows of the, the grand hall and I was able to go up and get some shots. Uh, so it's nice to uh, exactly you know, learn the different buildings around and meet the different building managers and, and show them what I do and ask them to once in a while let me up there. So what I'll start with is I'll say that that I I found Peter um, because I was uh, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I've been lucky enough on my block in West Philly to have kestrels that have nested um, now for this, at least the second year. Um, Excellent. They might have been there longer. Another neighbor was like, "No, they've been there for years." But I don't. I I noticed them right away when I heard the call, and I think I would have noticed the call before. So I'm not, so you knew about Kestrels prior to three or four years ago, your yeah. whole life, I suppose. Yeah, I mean they're they're just a they're a bird that um, <clears throat> I'll say that I've gotten into birding the past few years. I mean I hang out with me. Tony's a birder. I hang out with lots of birders, um, and so I've always known Kestrels. I've known them as you know, a smallish, they're a falcon, but a, a bird that is about the same size as like a morning dove or something like that. Um, and then when right. people point them out to me, sitting on a wire or on a fence or something, I'm like, man, I totally would have thought that was a morning dove or a pigeon. I never would have looked twice at yeah, it. Yeah, the same silhouette, very, very much the same silhouette. Yeah. And the same behavior of sitting on the wires like that. And so it was, uh, so I don't, well, in any case, so I've been aware of them, um, but it was the, I think I, the call reminded me of a peregrine's call. I mean, it's the same, same yeah, group yeah. of birds. Um, right, right. And uh, I had band, I'd been involved with peregrine banding years ago, um, probably about 10 years ago initially, maybe seven or eight years ago. 
Um, I wrote an article about it for a local magazine. I wrote nature articles for. Um, and so if you're, and we'll get to this a little bit about your banding activities, but if you're ever confronting angry peregrine falcons, the, the, the noise... <laughs> The noise sticks yeah, in yeah. your mind, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly. That's what exactly that noise when you hear it. You're like, oh, they're even when you, now you hear them fighting up in the distance. Sometimes walking downtown, yeah. I'm like, oh, they're up there somewhere. Something's yeah, going on. And so when I heard something similar in my block, I perked up right away. I was like, that's, that's yeah. a falcon. What is that's not a seagull. Um, wow. And uh, in any case, I become whenever they nest around, which is two years in a row. It's hard not to, it's hard not to get a little obsessed about it. Um, so what are they nesting in? So initially they were nesting in an apartment in a, in a, a three-story apartment building at the end of our block has um, wooden eaves that right. are braced to the brick wall, and where one of the the braces goes into the wall, there's like a gap into the wall, so it right. must enter into a cavity. And so that right. was the first place they nested. Um, and kestrels cool. are cavity nesters. Right. Um, and you've got some, and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll ask you about some stuff you have in there um, in a second. Um, but they're cavity nesters. Uh, so they would go back in there and you'd see them going in and out. And then eventually you saw the fledglings come out. It was a whole thing, you know. Um, it's so much then, fun to see them go in a building like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, last, well, this past spring, they were around, but they weren't using that nest cavity. I didn't see them go in and out. Um, so I was like, oh man, they're, they're, uh, this is not, this, it was just one year. It was a fleeting experience. Um, but then they were around, the adults were around. And then when they fledged two fledglings, they were, they were hanging out on the roofs of the twin houses directly across the street from us. Oh, that's fun. And so, that's fun. And so they must have nested on the block somewhere. And right. what I would see, and the challenge, the challenge, the fun part is that, um, you know, we were all working from home, those of us who used to work in offices. Uh, and mm-hmm. I took our third floor bedroom as my, which is where I'm sitting now, as my like office space. So every time I'd hear the slightest like peep of a kestrel, I could <laughs> lean out the window and, <laughs> and look at it. It got to the point that I, like I wouldn't I wouldn't let myself bring my binoculars up to the third floor, otherwise I get too distracted. Um, <laughs> yeah, can't get any work done. And so it was one of those moments that like I was like, oh, I want to I want to do some on the podcast about urban kestrels. And so I was I was googling, um, and I saw your pictures of them escaping into uh, like a ventilation grate. Um, All right, yeah, well that's good to hear that Google brought me up and. Uh, yeah, you know it, it's similar to what you were saying. You know, I. Watched some kestrels uh, downtown. Basically, I found them while riding my bike towards where I was watching falcons and ospreys. So one day, I would this was probably in like 2013. I would see the kestrels on this billboard, and like you, I would see the fledglings in June, and I never knew where they came out of. Yeah. And it was many years. It was about three years until I actually saw the mother right she flew directly full speed at a concrete wall <laughs> and i thought she was gonna hit it she went into the vent and I, I i couldn't believe it because i had walked around for years looking for cavities in trees looking for what they were nesting in and because they would emerge and then they'd immediately be in the this big tree that was there so i knew they were somewhere but 
it was just so bizarre. And, and I've seen the other vents on the building have a screen on them to prevent birds and other things from entering or, you know, leaves from clogging yeah. the vents. Uh, but that one, that was it. And uh, it was just amazing to watch them. And so, yeah, I would just pull up in my car next to the vent and, and watch them from my car. It was like a hide you know, or blind. So uh, <laughs> I was able to get some great shots and, uh, not, and, and, and yeah, literally a junkyard right downtown. So that was just great with the Kestrels. And, um, I, you know, as I mentioned, they actually did double brooding one year. So they that was had, amazing to me. Yeah. They, it's incredible. And, and another pair that I watched this year did it again as well. So um, huh. it's, it's, you know, so I re I did some research the first time when it happened and there, there is documentation of it happening in plenty of other areas. Um, somebody commented that this might be one of the northernmost areas where it's been documented. Um, but then I had heard possibly in Massachusetts as well. So, but so yeah, it, that was a great year. And then, uh, I didn't know about Kestrels for a few years. Last year, I found another pair this year. Uh, I watched two pairs raise three broods. So it was a great summer. It went all through August. Um, but the ones in the vent, they eventually left um, and starlings moved in, which is typical of, you know, of European starlings taking over kestrel cavities. That's one of the effect, things affecting kestrel populations in general. But when I look at my pictures, of the kestrels nesting in there, there's a lot of twigs and nesting material, which the kestrels wouldn't have brought in themselves. Right. So I think the starlings probably nested there first or something. Then maybe the kestrel raided the starling nest and said, hey, you know, this is a great spot for me to nest. And then ate all the starlings and took over the nest or something like that. I was gonna say, cause I've seen them eat starlings. Um, oh yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so I, and I, I think this, your observations speak to just the abundance of food they have um, right. in a city. I mean, the, and in, it was, it was amazing. If you see in my book, I did um, a spread of all the food because there was stuff that I didn't even know what it was. I learned of uh, what a tomato hornworm was because it was right. this giant green juicy thing that they were eating and they loved dragonflies and they would pick up snakes where, you know, where are you finding a snake downtown? You know, I guess as long as there's dirt and trees, there can be snakes, but a huge variety of stuff. And exactly like you said, you know, according to all the literature, they wouldn't double brood or have two clutches if they didn't feel that there was enough food for everybody. So yeah, there's gotta be a lot of food. And, and there's, there really are not any other kestrels around. So they probably have their own, you know, once they discover the niche, there's no competition um for the, for that type of food maybe so i mean I, I where where i am what i see them eat is um mostly sparrows and so right, right. and in any city in north america you're going to have an abundance of house sparrows and starlings and so if they can get by on well, those so, and you right, have an observation so, but what else of them would, they, but what else could catch a sparrow besides a kestrel that they would compete with? I suppose a, a cooper's hawk or a sharpshinned hawk. Sharpshinned hawk, I think, yeah. But they don't nest But they're in the not going to nest in the cavities, exactly. Right. They need a they nest. Need a so that's why the kestrel is perfect for, for downtown. They catch the, the things that are too small for the peregrines. Yeah. Um, and 
and they've got their own little niche once they once they find it the little mice and the little insects and little birds they had tons of sparrows like yeah there's the, the no latest one that i watched this summer exactly there was like sparrow heads all over the place so <laughs> you know i never did this there there's i need to talk to some people um on the block around the corner from mine because there's a tv antenna on top of this house that they would sit mm. and and mm. process their food um right and I, I just never got around to asking the guy, like, do you find a lot of sparrow heads next to your house? Um, <laughs> well, you know, that's a good conversation, starter, because, you know, it's funny. Like one of the nests <laughs> that I was watching this summer as well, they would exit the nest and go directly onto the TV antenna. You know, they love antennas. It's a perch where they can see in yep. 360 degrees. So um, I met some people who, like, were watching them out of their front windows once in a while. And I told them, yeah, they're in the back as well. They didn't realize that. So, you know, then from then on, they were watching the kestrels. And it's nice to meet the people around because then they could tell you things that happen when you're not there. Because I can't be there 24 hours a day. No, we got to earn a living, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, but I'm lucky. I could see the peregrines out my window. I can't see their box, but I could see them flying around. I could see them yeah. eating. I could see them bathe, bathe over there. The Kestrels I have to ride my bike to, which is great. It gets an excuse to get on my bike. Um, but like I said, it's nice to meet the people and teach they're interested in the birds. And um, I just ask them to keep it a secret so then there aren't like 20 photographers there the next day if, they, if it gets out on Facebook or something, you know, lining yeah. the street, you know, on private property. So um, it's it's fun to involve the neighbors like exactly like that and tell and most people have never even heard of a kestrel so to find out that there's a falcon right. living in their neighborhood yeah. killing things is fun is fun um you had an observation that i was amazed by um of them raiding pigeon nests you talk about that a little bit right. yeah well that that was again right outside my window you know as i mentioned in the book i i did not even really pay attention to birds at all until I moved into this loft in, in Providence. Uh, luckily, out of my, I'm on the sixth floor, so it's a, a nice height. Out of my main windows, I can see the peregrines hunting. And out of the other windows, it's an alley with rusted steelwork and stuff. And the pigeons nest in there. So I, I didn't much pay attention to it. And, you know, the building was, managers were always really upset that the pigeons were there because they poop in the alley. And they wanted the alley to be cleaned up with chairs and tables for lunching events and stuff. So uh, eventually I started to pay attention to that the pigeons were there. And a, a few times hawks would show up and try to get into these pigeon nests. But, you know, they're not in the book. So I'll have to share you some of these pictures where the hawk, like, doesn't even know what to do with its wings because it's trying to, like, get into the <laughs> nest but it can't fit. So the steelwork just happens to be a, like a perfect bread box size every maybe 20 feet down the line of the alley and they're all filled with pigeons. So yeah, I just love it at the end of the summer when they look like they're young kestrels to me trying to find their way. Uh, they show up. It's usually in August. I, unfortunately, I didn't get any this August, but most of my kestrel pictures from home out of my own window are from August. And the other... They go inside the nests and try to pull out the pigeons, little babies. I've seen them exit with the baby. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's it's wow. interesting watching the pigeons, too, because of that whole urban legend thing. Like, you know, how come you don't see 
baby pigeons. Where are the baby pigeons? They're in their nest. Well, you know, then the people imagine pigeons, babies are like ducklings. Like they're going to, little baby-sized sure. pigeons following yeah. the mom. Yeah. But when, by the time they exit the nest, they look like the adults. They're just, yeah. I say, skinnier and cleaner. So um, it's hard to tell that they're the babies. But So, yeah, I, I can see them exit and then sit on top or, you know, get ready to fledge by sitting on the ledge of the box, you know, when they're yeah. learning to fly. And they almost look like the adults. So. Yeah. And then, right, the when, they're, when they're... And that would that them flapping attracts the hawks, the peregrines, the kestrels, uh, and, and they'll come. I was going to so. say it's for the best that people don't see baby pigeons because they're some of the ugliest creatures there <laughs> right. are. Right, without the feathers, their beak looks and nose look kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you were mentioning this. So what got you started? You were you had yeah. uh, in the book you talked about an encounter with a red-tailed hawk. Well, well, right. Before that in-person one, I would see out my window. Um, well, the first encounter was, like I say in the book, there, there was a group of pigeons flying around out my window as if something had spooked them. And one of those pigeons flew up to the very top of the, um, they call it the Superman building down here as a nickname because it's that old Art Deco style. Mm-hmm. So it flew up to the top of the building. And, you know, I said, why did all the pigeons fly back to the ground and one flew up to the building? So I pulled out some binoculars I happened to have, which I hardly ever used. But I was like, oh, I think I have some binoculars. So it shows that I didn't think about birds at all. Yeah. And I saw it wasn't a pigeon. It was something that was eating a pigeon. So there were <laughs> there was literally blood dripping down the building. So it was really crazy. And there were feathers dripping down. So it was, a, it was a really wild, like literally wild moment. Um, you know, a little more bloodier than the typical now that I've seen a million times them eating. This, that happened to be a really bloody one with it dripping down the building. And uh, I didn't even know it was a peregrine falcon. You know, I, I wasn't, uh, didn't know about birds. So I looked it up and I, I, you know, thought it was amazing that they were here outside my window. Uh, I asked my sister for like a hand-me-down camera. Because uh, I remember at that time, it was, you know, a little over 10 years ago, cameras were about like getting them as small as possible into your pocket, you know? So I was happy to have my little Nikon. Yeah. yeah, My little cool pics. And I was like, wow, I can have a great camera in my pocket. And then the the idea of one with a big lens, like, like you were saying, carrying around a big lens was not appealing to me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then when a peregrine Falcon lives, lives outside your window, that's the time to get, a zoom lens and a dslr to take it seriously yeah. i mean some people you know I, I say some people go on vacation to see a peregrine i'm so lucky that i can see it every day so i love it and i'm very fortunate and so i got a camera i always kept it with me because i didn't know about peregrine behavior much at that time either so i thought oh maybe i'll see the peregrines down on the ground something hunting one day so um exactly like you said i i had a great encounter with a red-tailed hawk where I was walking home. It started to snow, so there was nobody around. And right there in the falling snow was a gigantic hawk just eating a pigeon right there on the ground. And, you know, I was so close because I didn't even see it before I realized how close I was to it. You know, I was so close, I was, like, stepping back because it was so scary. Um, and then, but I realized it wasn't the peregrine falcon. But, you know, so I was like, wow, there's more than one of these things here in the city. So... <laughs> 
I just got hooked on it. And, and I started to share pictures with family and friends and it just got to the point though, where, you know, they were like, cool. You know, after, after a month, they were like, those shots are cool, but they got just sick of seeing Hawk pictures every month. So I had to find a different audience than family and friends. So I started the Providence Raptors blog. And, right. um, and then of course that morphs into social media once that came out. And, uh, then, you know, now it's fun. I've got a following of people who just like to learn that there are hawks and falcons and occasionally owls and kestrels living amongst us in Providence. And, and after 10 years of doing that, I, I, I thought I got to put it together into a book somehow. And I got to say, I'm very proud of myself because I really didn't know if I would pull it off, but I did it and, and I'm very proud of how it came out. So um, it's got 20 great stories about uh, rescues and, and babies and double brooding and all that kind of stuff. So how did you get into, um, I mean, you went, you've gone far beyond just taking pictures. Um, how did you get into the rescue work? Well, you, you know, one thing I like to say is, you know, how many pictures of a hawk can you take, you know, after, five ten years you know well first of all i I could say you know i never even photograph a hawk in a tree or a sky anymore it doesn't tell a story to me i'm all about uh, urban raptors you know uh telling that story and so you know of course being in the urban area there are dangers so i would start people was people started to know me as the hawk guy you know uh tech and tweet to me like hey there a hawk hit a window downtown and I'd say, oh, let's call DEM, the Department of Environmental Management. And they would come and, and net the hawk. And then I met the, the rescuer and I, and I showed them my pictures of me photographing him rescuing the bird. And, and they liked that and shared that online. And he's like, you know, when the bird is injured, we take it to Born to be Wild Nature Center. So, um, I, you know, uh, you should reach out to them and photograph their birds. And it's funny, I hadn't done it yet. It was on my list, but I figured, figured, you know, there's a million guys probably bothering them to photograph their birds. So uh, let me build up my collection or something more before I bothered them. And then they actually contacted me because they received an injured kestrel. You know, this is going to tie into our kestrel talk perfectly because they received a kestrel and they always like to return the birds that they find where where the bird was found or, or the yeah. words that they rehabilitate, they like to return it where it was found. So they were told this was found right downtown and they questioned that they were, they said, no, this is a bird that lives in an open plain, you know, on the edge of grassland, you know? Yeah. And I'll uh, say that stereotypically hybrid. kestrels are what I thought of it before I found them in the city. You, you read about kestrels as being this bird that you in farm country, they're, right, they're next right. to a field on a telephone line looking for right, mice right. and grasshoppers. Um, so you exactly. don't expect them in the city. Yeah. Right. You know, well, you know, I'll interrupt real, my story real quickly to just tell you, I did go on vacation once to uh, photograph the burrowing owls in California. Ooh. And it is all grassland like that. And on every telephone pole was a kestrel. I, one, day <laughs> I, I, one day I notched 60 kestrels. It was amazing. Oh my God. Amazing. Everywhere you look on every telephone pole. 60 wow. in one day and i was there for like three days so it was a total of almost 100 kestrels you know i could have might have repeated some going down the same still it's a hell of a density uh, pole, yeah. but it was and, and it was just great to see because knowing on the east coast they're so rare um 
uh, you know, later we can get into the Rhode Island Bird Atlas if you want if you talk about how rare the kestrels were. But um, so Born to Be Wild had this kestrel that they rehabilitated. They were told it was from downtown, and somebody said to them that there is a guy who photographs kestrels downtown. So you should contact him, and they they did, and they said, you know, we're are you sure Kestrels live there? And I said, yeah, check out my pictures because they didn't want to release it and have it die of starvation or be lost, right. you know? Yeah, or and, be uh, like chased so, off by a resident Kestrel pair somewhere else. Peregrine, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. Or, so, um, especially since it had just been in rehab, you know, it, was, it might be a little bit in shock and unsure of itself. Anyway, they contacted me. I showed them the pictures. They said, I said, please come down. I'll photograph the release. And yeah, it was great. I photographed the Kestrel going free and they were happy to see in their minds the Kestrel immediately flew to some exact, again, antennas that looked yep. like it had known those antennas already. And it was doing the Kestrel tail wag, you know, happy to be back home. So it didn't look <laughs> out of place. It, it felt happy to be home. And they were really excited about that. And, and yeah, I got pictures of and they, as a, as a couple, you know, don't even come into the city themselves. Forget about kestrels. The, the human people that we're talking about don't come into the city. So yeah. it was fun to, for me to get pictures of them in the city with the, the kestrel on the, on the pole behind them and graffiti on the walls and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and since then, you know, and I was actually wrong about everybody begging to photograph their birds. There, was, there weren't people begging them. So... Um, I said, can I photograph more of your releases? And they said, yeah, great. You know, and social media was kind of new and I'm a graphic designer. So I did their website for them. So I did their website is hawkri.org. So I, I helped them step up their rehab game or their, I helped them their presence in Rhode Island. So they had a nice new website. They got online. Now they got pictures of their releases and yeah, it's just, it's great for them to be able to post a picture of the hawk with its wings spread going free and ask for donations that way versus just <laughs> typing out, you know, we, we set a hawk free, you know, cause it's all, it's all run on their own money, you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, I love to help them out and donate to them and ask people to donate to them as well. Good, good. Um, and say it one more time. So people do want to donate, what is it called again? It's Born to be Wild Nature Center, and the website is hawkri.org. As R-I as in Rhode Island, so hawkri.org. Perfect. Yeah, um, yeah I, I was, uh, it, it's something that I, I like to, I'll throw in a little bit of a global note real quick. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Matt, uh, we had an episode years ago where I was talking to someone um, in, uh, in Palestine, in the occupied territories, um, depending on what you want to call it, um, and, uh, we were talking a little bit about kestrels, um, that nest on the walls of the old city in Jerusalem. And, oh, wow. uh, it's something that, that initially I got really excited about it, but it turns out the cat, I mean, I got excited about it cause I was like, oh, it's the same species. It's not, um, that actually they're the, it seems that kestrels in Eurasia and North America right. are not, they're sort of parallel evolved falcons that as they get smaller this is the form they take i guess right something like that yep and then and so but still well, they um, diverged at some point before they diverged at some point in the past yeah 
but it but then what I got re excited about <laughs> was the was I guess the tendency of falcons to nest or at least a few groups of falcons nest in cities. Um, I mean we have uh, we have kestrels which seem to um, whether we're talking about North American kestrels or Asian kestrels um, that take really well to, to human made structures either place. Um, and now yeah, we're yeah. seeing now that you know we've stopped poisoning peregrine falcons and shooting peregrine falcons um, and, you know, gave them a little boost with trying to reintroduce them into cities um, that they take to cities. And, and it's, it's fun to kind of pick a city. I mean, like pick a city in the Northern hemisphere. Um, and if you, yeah. which I've done, you're like, okay, London, Manchester, New England or England or something like that. Or, and then, um, yeah, even like Warsaw, continent. Poland, you know, I follow on, on Facebook. Exactly. And, you know, the peregrine is interesting because they are almost um, identical globally. You know, they don't yeah. species speciate as much. Um, but yeah, it's amazing to see and the same timing as well on all the webcams. So that's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I've there's apparently like three hundred pairs of owls. Oh, of course, you just talked about this on one of your podcasts in in North Carolina in Charlotte. Barred owls. So barred yeah. owls our um, barred owls are doing well in some cities as well. We had one here in Providence, like I have in my book, not nesting, yeah. though, just visiting. Yeah, it's, and it was a mystery. It was something that um, Rob Beregard, who we were interviewing for that episode, had had lived in North Carolina and, and had sort of, I guess, done some research into the the some of the urban um, barred owls there. And we say urban, I mean, it would be what you or I might think of as a more... Peter and I might suburban, think of it as a more right. suburban kind of landscape, um, but still pretty densely populated by people. Um, and Rob was right. like, I can't figure out why they're not in Philadelphia. Um, and yeah, yeah. I guess that expanded. They that are now, right? Too. Oh, but not barred owls. Yeah, I don't know about the barred owls. No, there are barred owls, but they're, they're here and there. They're not like, they haven't like taken over the suburbs in the way that they have in other um other cities right um, and so it's and i, I just don't understand bad. how that area could handle 300 pairs like how much food is there in that area to be able to sustain that that's crazy i mean they for, and this is going back in my memory for a few years now but i'm pretty sure they were also hitting like sleeping birds so they would like mm. roosting birds at night um and right, so right if you just if along with maybe rats and mice and if they're near streams you know frogs and stuff like that but you know, any city, you've got an abundance of, yeah. you know, sparrows, right. not just ma right, not only mammals. Exactly. There was one time I did see the barred owl eating a pigeon, but curiously, it was headless, which is something that the the peregrines do. So I thought it might have found their cache because they have a cache on their building where they store food. Oh. And I saw the barred owl around there one night. I was wondering if that was a behavior somebody else had seen, bar, a barred owl stealing from the cache of a peregrine. So it, wasn't, it didn't look like a fresh kill either. It looked like a few days old and headless. <laughs> so it didn't look like it was from a fresh barred owl kill. Yeah. A well-aged a well, -aged, <laughs> well -aged pigeon. It sounds <laughs> right. awful, yeah. but I guess, hey. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if it worked for the, the owl, great. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I want to um, wrap up with one more species to ask you about because it's one of my favorite ones, um, which mm -hmm. is uh, Cooper's hawks. It's like in, in yeah. we've got a couple nesting in Philadelphia now, I guess, but um, really you see them in the winter when they move in. Yeah. 
Um, it sounds like some more things happening up in Providence. Yeah, I mean, I see them in the snow, like you said, in the winter. That This is the time of year, once it starts to get colder, the young hawks that were born in, or I shouldn't say born, hatched in yeah, the yeah. spring, um, <laughs> they're looking for easy meals, you know. And so if they find downtown with 100 pigeons flying around, uh, it's an easy catch, you know. They, Bonanza, they show, yeah. you know. People just feed pigeons on the ground. They throw out their bread. The pigeons are in a pile and the hawks just come down and grab one. So uh, there was a Cooper's hawk that found that the pigeons were nesting outside of my window and was sitting there for like three days in a row. So it was cool for me to see it in the morning and it would leave and hunt and come back to that spot. And, and uh, it just, it was well camouflaged, perfect rusts matching the plumage of the Cooper's hawk. Um, yeah. And I did hear once about one possibly nesting in an abandoned building. Uh, I didn't see it personally. So I have not seen them nesting, right? I don't know where these young ones are coming from. I assume, you know, the more wooded areas in the suburban parts. But there are plenty of them, yeah, in, in the um, wintertime. And it's funny because I, I have a shot of there was a day where you know, when I talk about our park, you know, Providence is a very small city. So the park is maybe 10 or 12 trees. Um, <laughs> there was a Cooper's hawk and a red tail hunting at the same time. And they were tolerant of each other because there was so much food. Oh, and, okay. And, and they weren't fighting with each other. So it was interesting to see that too. We have, I, I know in the in an area of Philadelphia where there's a prominent, um, often a prominent pair of hawks, of red tails nesting. Um, we were there mm. once with a friend of ours, Christian Honnold, who's often on the podcast. Um, and yep. he was pointing out a, a, a young Cooper's hawk that had been blood, that had still had like some scabs healing on its leg from where the red tails went after it. So oh, yeah. um, you know, they don't always well, tell I saw you. some of his photography as well. I checked out a link from your previous podcast. I saw he had a lot of nice urban shots as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Cooper's hawks, I, I'm, a, I, I have a little like, gripe with them because they're really? one possible cause of the Kestrel decline. Uh, oh. They're on the list of possible predation by Cooper's hawks of Kestrels is one of the cause is one of the possible causes of Kestrel decline, and we're really running out of Kestrels. So, um, but well, the talk Cooper's a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, so so my my understanding is that they're just generally in some decline, um, and right the you know they're doing and and the fact that they're nesting in cities is not necessarily a good thing um you right you know a city is not always like a, a perfect answer because a, a building can get knocked down the next day something they don't expect yeah. you know could happen um their electrical wires could you know short out the nest which happens to birds and nest on telephone poles sometimes so and, and fledglings run into windows and exactly uh, they run into windows you know there's a book um out urban raptors that has a lot of great urban uh scientific studies and i, I you know we know about all these stuff like rat poison and windows sure. there was one that i had learned about new in the book which is when they're in these cavities in in the summertime, it can get really hot and their eggs can actually bake inside some structures. Oh my, bridges. Okay. So that's another thing I had never heard of. Um, but so, you know, as far as the causes of kestrel decline, you know, a book like that is more full of 
studies, which I would love to my photography and my observations to be a part of, you know, some sort of study that, you know, I do contribute to the American Cultural Partnership um, citizen science, you know, where you can document certain nests that you watch. But unfortunately, the nests that I watch, I can't open them up and see what day the, egg, the eggs have hatched and you know, document the stages of yeah you sort of have to guess from the front behavior yeah right because you usually people install a nest box with a side door in their grassland property and they can just climb a ladder open it up and and i'm in, in a city watching it in an apartment building that i don't live in so i can't even <laughs> and if i and i'm always scared if i in all the urban situations i'm scared if i let the owners of the buildings know that the kestrels are there that they're going to kick them out because you know, then yeah. they think they've got a dirty building. So I'm always cautious to, to 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 not let them see me for that reason as well. I don't want them to kick the kestrels out. Um, but uh, yeah, so we were discussing the decline in population, and so there was a project called the Rhode Island Bird Atlas, which um, is a huge project. Uh, basically, the entire state was sliced up into blocks, and volunteers were assigned a certain block. And for three years during the breeding season, you walk around your entire block, which is probably a three mile radius. I would ride my bike here and there and um, document whatever birds you see. And if a bird has a twig in its mouth, that's probable evidence of nesting. <laughs> if, you see, if you see babies, that's evidence of, of that they nested there, you know. So there's different levels for each thing you might see, like whistling their flirt and call is a is a low level prob probable possible you know so all the different activities are ranked to try to see who is using rhode island to breed they yeah. also do a wintering atlas which is for passing through and then that information will be used to help lawmakers decide how to use land and develop land and stuff like that but for me you know the kestrels and and the um raptors were the most interesting part because the last time they did an atlas was in the 80s and there were no peregrines, hardly any red-tailed pox, no ospreys. Now we have a million ospreys, a million red-tailed pox. Bald eagles are back. We've got the peregrines, lots of different owl types, yeah. and and the kestrels. But so we, you know, we have kestrels, but they're in decline again because um, in the entire state there were only three people who document or three nests documented. Two people documented them. I documented wow. two nests in Providence. So what, you know, there probably are other kestrels that are not seen um, and by humans. So we've got to assume there are some not documented, but for only me and one other person to find kestrels in the entire state is, is disappointing. Yeah, it is. I mean, cause the people looking, you know, birders are going to recognize them. Um, yeah. They're going to, they love the kestrels. Everyone loves the kestrels. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're adorable little, colorful, adorable little killers, right? So Yeah. Really I mean, you make the point that like, uh, that when you look at the relationships among what we call, what we group together as raptors, that like, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, I don't know if you mentioned turkey vultures, but like the, the vultures related to storks, we've got, right. Um, we've got the, the, the falcons related to parrots, I think. And the falcons related to parrots, exactly. Yeah. And and both of which are separate branches from like the rest of the hawks and eagles. And so like, right, right. 
Um, and you and were once saying you know that you can't see a falcon, especially a Kessel, you cannot look at it now without thinking of a parrot because they're so colorful and they've got the hook yeah. beak. And yeah, so somebody was calling them like murder, murder parrots, you know. So. <laughs> I love it. And we did have parrots in America at some point. There was a North Carolina parrot um, that went extinct. Uh, so Carolina maybe, parakeet, you know, yeah. Yeah, so a parakeet, right. So, you know, maybe one of those evolved. But, you know, the, the Kessels go up and down the Americas, down to Brazil. So that, that's one another fun thing about following these birds. You get to connect um, on Instagram and stuff with people who photograph them in other countries. And when they leave our area, then they're down there in South America. And um, you can imagine that somebody might be photographing the same bird that you saw. Uh, it's a magical thing to think about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, again, they're tagging them more to see if they're dying during migration. Exactly is one of the, 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 one of the theories that I read about recently. You know, I, I talk about these things as a reader, you know, I wish I was a scientist studying it as well, but yeah. Um, from what I've read is what I'm saying. They, it's possible that as they're migrating, they're being preyed upon by Cooper's hawks and stuff like that. They, you know, they're very high up in the air and stuff like that. Um, they're hard to track their migration. So there's not much known about what's happening. You know, maybe once they arrive, they know where they are, but what's yeah. happening along the way is mysterious. Well, it's something I hope to learn more about. Um, I like to end my interviews, whether I'm doing it for the podcast or, or doing it for print, um, by asking someone, what should, have I, should I have asked you about? Um, and, or, or another way of putting it is maybe like, what's an anecdote or something, you know, a raptor experience that, um, that, you, that it's like your favorite thing to talk about or just blew your mind that you haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Well, you know, in general, I'll just say, it's fun to get into something new at age 35. Now I'm 46, but I, it, I, now it's been 10 years. But at first when I was really excited about it and getting like, oh my God, like I could see a hawk, I could see a falcon myself. I would say it, it's very fun at 35 to find something new that is going to get me up in the morning and drive you know, to another location to try to see a snowy owl on a beach or something. Uh, you know. And, and then to achieve that, you know, to drive three hours just to find a, 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 a one foot animal in the grass. It, it, it was just, it was fun. Um, and so I always say to people, you never know what's going to happen in your life if you're bored and just be open to new things like that. So that's, that's a general anecdote. I think it's great. With that one. And I'll, and I'll jump on the end of it and I'll say that, um, you know, I think in a, in a way it was, I was, it was random in a sense that we that I end, that we ended up talking about Providence, Providence, the city of Providence's raptors, um, in the sense that Providence is lucky enough to have a guy like you who's taking pictures of them and publicizing it. Cities all over the country, all over the world, have urban raptors also, um, and have urban kestrels. Whether we're talking about the Eurasian species or the North American species, um, but so it's this is incredibly accessible stuff. If you live, if you if you are a listener living in a city. Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's something that I, I try not to gripe too much here at the end, but, um, birders like to, to sort of move in herds and like have like the, the popular and head to the green spaces where they're going to see a lot of diversity. And so I think, um, I'm not the only one I, I, I have, 
I'll say this is not just, I'm not original in thinking this, um, that, that there's a lot to be discovered in cities um, that just because people neglect them in terms of their birding activities. Um, and so I think if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I got a pair of binoculars, I live in Chicago yeah. or I live in Tampa. Or I there's live something wherever. there. There's something living around you. Even, yeah. And, you know, it, it might even be um, insects. That's what I say to you when I walk around. I'm passing by some trees that might excite somebody or I'm passing by a bug that might excite somebody. So there's something around you. Yeah, and you know, I'm going to continue with that because that is like the anecdote, another anecdote that I do try to say a lot. You know, people ask me, oh, you like wildlife. Do you go to Africa to photograph lions? And I say, of course not. <laughs> so I'm not going <laughs> to go over there just to get a picture of a lion. Like, I can't tell the story of that lion if I visit one day. The person who lives there with those lions can tell that story. So I live here in Providence. I see falcons out my window. It's almost my responsibility to tell the story. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. So, you know, I'm seeing yes. them every day. And people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't call your book Providence Raptors because it's going to shoot yourself in the foot. People who live in other cities won't care. I'm like, well, I, I'm not telling the story of New York. The guys who live in New York can tell that story. There, are, I know a guy who lives in Boston who tells us that story. And let everybody tell the story. You know, there's, there's this philosophy, I think, five-mile birding, they call it. You know, just bird within a five-mile radius. You, you would be surprised what is in within five miles of your house. Don't travel anything. That is your zone. Get to know it. Um, there's... There's something to tell. There's always a story somewhere to tell. There's a skunk hiding somewhere, you know. Um, but exactly that. I I feel almost obliged because I, I see where they bathe. I see where they have their babies. I'm around to rescue them. So as long as I'm here and see them every day, I'm the guy who can tell the story. I'm not, I'm not telling the story of a lion in Africa or the yeah. penguins in Antarctica, you know. <laughs> and if you live in suburbia... And there's a fox in your backyard. Tell the story of that fox. Yeah. Or if there's a, a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly, which is happening in my friend's yard, and she's documenting that, that's the story that you can tell today. You know, so they, and, and like I said, I did go photograph burrowing owls because I, I was very curious to see them, and it was a great time. But I wouldn't pretend or or. Um, say that I could tell the story of those owls' lives and how they survive. Yep. As I can with the peregrines here. Yeah. Wonderful. And so we'll wrap up just reminding people where can people get the book? ProvidenceRaptors.com, of course, would be the best place. That's my website. Uh, so, yeah, please check it out. And um, there's a great video, too, of the barred owls. You know, there was, there was such a great experience with the barred owl that I had to make a video. So, you can check out video on my website, too. But yeah, please check out the book. It's a great gift to think about for the holidays um, to buy for other people. People in Providence have been telling me that since people can't visit them because of the pandemic, they've been buying my book as a gift to, to send Providence to them. Because there's a lot of architecture <laughs> and stuff in it as well, not just the birds. So, yeah, it's a it's nice not gift. just calamari, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you could come here and photograph the calamari if you want. Forget the <laughs> All right. Um, with that, right, well, I'll thank you. Thank- this was fun. I appreciate it. I appreciate you asking me to come on. Thank you very much. Thank you.